At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, the Nasdaq notching a new record high as Apple and Microsoft soared all-time highs. We'll find out what is driving this big tech breakout. Plus, a payment pop will tell you what sent shares of Square to record levels today. And later, one of the hottest stocks on the Robinhood app getting a big buy call. You'll hear from the analyst who says it's good to be the king's. But we start off with what could become a big boycott. Facebook under fire as a growing number of protesters of advertisers, excuse me, pull out. Patagonia, the latest today, joining other names like REI and North Face. They are backing a group called Stop Hate for Profits, which is calling on advertisers to boycott Facebook through July for allowing, quote, racist, violent and verifiably false content on its platforms. Facebook says it is taking steps to review its policies and is committed to advancing equality and racial justice. But as more advertisers start to pull out, will this growing boycott pose a major threat to Facebook's future? And we have always said here that it doesn't matter unless advertisers start to pull out. So is this the beginning of that trickle becoming a more sizable flow, Guy? Well, it's an interesting triumvirate there. So unless you're in the Tenzing Norgay fan club or, you know, the free solo Alex Honnold crowd, uh, REI, Patagonia, North Face, I know some of the people out there know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I find it fascinating <laughs> that those three had the list. With that said, I think, I think it is a big deal because it's not, it's not going to be the end. It's just the beginning, to your point. And at, at a certain point, we have said when, when advertisers start to pull away, this is sort of the existential risk they face. Market clearly doesn't care. And valuation-wise, at 25 times next year's earnings, Facebook isn't that expensive. But this is the existential risk to their entire business model, in my opinion. And if this is the tip of the iceberg, it doesn't augur particularly well. Bonwin, what do you think, especially given, as Guy mentioned, the stock's run? Uh, yeah, well, another thing to keep in mind is that about 98.5% of their revenue is derived from ads. So this is, this is no small thing to sweep under the rug here. Uh, and in all things considered, right, the political environment that we're currently in, again, I reiterate, they're in, a, in an election year. Um, all of the headlines that we have, I mean, I, I just don't understand why, you know, we wouldn't take the proper measures needed to make sure that propaganda, hate speech, things of that nature are um, eliminated from, from the platform. You know, all you need is one Fortune 500 company, I would think, um, Grasso, to, to say, you know, we're, we're on board here, too. I mean, Guy mentioned, you know, that this is a very specific kind of group of companies, right? But you get a Starbucks on board, and then all of a sudden, the dam breaks. So what's been happening is, to, to that point, is that all during the course of this, as we see corporations react, We've seen just that. So we've seen little incremental changes, but then it sort of changes the tide. So if you wind up getting huge companies, this is gonna leave more than just an incremental hit on Facebook. And if you look at this year, Google, their ad revenue is coming in this year. So this is a year where Facebook should actually 
be a bigger part. Their, their digital presence is bigger. They're growing. So they don't want any little hiccups here to upset it. But they're also trying to wade in the waters and do it mm-hmm. as sort of, uh, I don't want to use the word politically correct, but lack, lack of another word. They're trying to do this in a measured way where they don't want to be the judge and jury. Right. So right now, I think that the the stock is looking past it. I don't know, to your point, if this builds, uh, if it's going to be a a massive headwind. But right now, the stock is looking past it as a a temporary change. Um, One of the groups backing these changes, these proposed changes, is the NAACP. And one bright spot that has come out of all the protests that have happened in the United States is that companies have donated a lot of money to various organizations, including the NAACP. Peloton, for instance, donated a half a million dollars. Banana Republic, $250,000. Electronic Arts, Ubisoft. Amazon, Airbnb, all donating to the NAACP. Those are just a few of the companies that have donated to the NAACP. So, Tim, I guess, you know, do companies risk looking like hypocrites if they're donating money to the NAACP, but then don't join in when the NAACP is saying, you know what, Facebook, review your policies, do something about this? Yeah, and, and brands are in a huge position to implement change. And, and remember, uh, some of these brands, I mean, we're talking about whether we're talking about people that love the outdoors and, and going for a good hike and pitching a tent. Uh, I mean, this tends to be a, a you know a environmentally conscious group of people, people that are socially conscious. I mean, these are brands that actually really have very, very loyal followings. And brands have an opportunity to distinguish themselves. And not that these companies are being opportunistic, um, but, but, but it actually cements your place uh, with your loyal customer. I, I think, you know, the, the issue with Facebook is it's been largely the only game in town. I mean, the scale that they have in the social media world is is not, there's nothing that even comes close to them. So um, brands can act in the short run. Let's see how this goes in the long run. And obviously this puts a lot of pressure on Facebook, which is great. And Facebook, which clearly has been, you know, it's hard to really know what the conversation is going on, but but clearly there's there's been at least some sense to uh, first not be the arbiter of truth, then to follow through and actually we we will go with the uh, the prevailing legacy players in social media to actually uh, play in the same lane. It's 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 clear that Facebook wants to be guided on some level and that Facebook has always been the epicenter uh, of how social media, but how some of these issues are going to play out. So in the short run, uh, not surprising. Brands have always been first. Nike's been first. There's been a lot of brands. Starbucks has been first. You mentioned, I mean, these are companies that part of their identity is rooted in the social fabric of this country. And and so they will continue to do this right now. It's one month. Let's see how long this goes. So this ad boycott catches fire. Who could be the next big advertiser to pull out? Joining us now is Frank O'Brien, the founder and CEO of Ad Agency Five Tier. Frank, great to speak with you. Um, we're making the point on the panel that this group of companies, they're, they're sort of very specific. But in terms of what these companies stand for, in terms of the consumers, uh, the brands appeal to, if you had to think of other companies that, that might share a similar cross-section <laughs> of, of people with the same views, who do you think of? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Obviously, you think of the top advertisers, you think of the Nikes of the world, the Procter & Gamble's, the Pepsi's. Um, and I think that this is such uh, a strong stance by these outdoor brands. You know, the obvious other outdoor brands that fit in the same category um, aren't, are just the tip of the iceberg. So if this really catches on, and uh, it is just for July for most of them right now, then, I mean, you could see it be a site-wide, um, you know, the biggest brands from the top to the bottom. 
Right. In this period where, where companies are, are facing pressures to sort of cut costs, could this be just a, simply an opportunity also to reset their ad spend? I mean, beyond this point, because everybody is saying you know, this is only through July, and that's a very good point. Even if, if Facebook faces a boycott through July, it's a limited period of time. But could this be the opportunity for companies to say, you know what, we're going to right-size our ad spend, and out of July, we might go back in a reduced way? Yeah, I think more importantly, this is a great opportunity for Facebook to really take a stance on compliance. I was thinking about other industries uh, that have been around much longer than social media, digital advertising, uh, such as the outdoor industry, television, radio, and there's a lot more compliance that goes into when an ad is submitted, um, thinking through the implications of that ad. So, you know, I think that this is a great opportunity for the industry, for Facebook, um, to really look at what compliance means in this new age of instant advertising where anyone can go on and uh, create an ad and post it in seconds. And I really think that that's more of the opportunity to reset, if we're going to reset anything, um, to reset spending. So you don't think of this as potentially um, companies saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to go back to Facebook in the dollar size that we were going, uh, we were advertising before this boycott? I don't think any company is, is going to be able to avoid Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook's here, uh, they own Instagram, they own other companies, and um, there are consumers uh, that are using these networks. And if the consumers went away from the networks, then the advertisers would follow. But I don't think that that's going to happen um, anytime soon, if ever. So I think that the companies are going to go to, the advertisers are going to go to where the consumers are. Mm -hmm. And especially with targeting, they're going to be able to reach their consumer in a very niche-specific way right. um, so that they're not just broadcast advertising. And it, and it could even shift in the sense that they shift more of their budgets towards targeted ads and not just broadcast buys to build brands. But they're definitely going to go back to Facebook. Um, it's only a matter of time unless the consumers left Facebook. Frank, thanks. Appreciate it. Frank O'Brien of Five Tier. Um, that's you. a good point. And it's always sort of the chicken and egg sort of argument. The consumers are there, so the advertisers go there. The advertisers pull out. Then then what, uh, Guy? But it's it's interesting to think about protests happening nationwide and then nothing happening online. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I mean, Facebook is the saving grace for Facebook, the company, is the fact that the stock is trading at an all-time high. So it's sort of all these things sort of fall under the cloud. It doesn't matter because the stock's going higher. But to the point, I do think it's absolutely the tip of the iceberg. I understand it's just for July. For now, my sense is it might continue, and others are going to fall in line, and... You know, th there's been no alternative, but guess what? I know Steve Grosso was on this for a long time, and we've talked about it at length now for the last month, month and a half, but Snapchat was left for dead for a long time. There was a $6 stock, and Facebook was about to put that company out. And then Facebook sort of got their own problems. I think they took their eye off the ball. Now, all of a sudden, Snapchat is a viable competitor. If you look at that stock, it's done really well. So, yes, there's no place else to go right now. But there will be other places to go. And don't discount the fact that I think at a certain point, uh, the denizens of Facebook might start leaving in droves as well. Um, let's get more on what this could mean for Facebook shares and bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, always great to speak with you. Melissa? Um, this is only through July, yes. But we have heard from companies, and I'm thinking specifically of Expedia uh, in, in regards to Google, but, but but still, the point is there that the pandemic is offering the company an opportunity to reset ad spending. 
And I'm thinking, you know, if companies are going to boycott Facebook for the month of July, they could come out of it and say, you know what, this pandemic, this is a good time to say, maybe we don't we, we don't go back in the size that we were before. I think it's unlikely. And I've learned a lot about Facebook over the past year and a half. I predicted when there is this greater awareness of some of the how toxic uh, Facebook and social media was that there would be a new awareness of people and they would start to moderate some of their time on social media. Apple came out with some tools around screen time. And at the time, uh, Facebook's users, even though the biggest user base uh, monthly in the world, uh, was growing at about 5%. That has continued to grow at 5% over uh, the last six quarters. And my lesson learned is, despite all of its shortcomings, is people are largely addicted to the endless, mindless scroll. And when you talk about the chicken and the egg, Melissa, I think ultimately both of those come down to the user base. Are the users there? And it continues to grow. And I think one of the disappointing parts about this uh, with these advertisers that have made announcements is how quick they were to say that they're going to come back, likely come back in August. What that means to me is that they're making a statement. They're showing some form of support around the topic, but ultimately they are going to embrace Facebook as a platform because, and you've framed this in well, your panel has, about there really is no other place to go. And so they are ultimately valuing their bottom line more than they are uh, the cause that they uh, report to be supporting. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. And I know you're not a digital uh, marketing, uh, you know, and kind of ad technology guy per se. But what you're talking about is a world where suddenly there is software. Advertisers really have the ability to see where their ads are going and the context in which they're being viewed and how they're being consumed. And I mean the ads themselves. Um, Doesn't this mean that advertisers have a lot more control and they can manipulate the outlets that much more? And again, there 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 are some really hot upcoming ad technology companies that do just this. And it feels like this is the right time for that. Definitely the right time. The environment's there. The need around the traditional methods are being continued to be governed. If you look at some of the announcements that Apple's made today about being able to block some of the traffic uh, monitoring that's gone on, uh, to your point, Tim, yes, there's definitely more opportunity around that. But ultimately, it comes back to where the people are, where the eyeballs, where the users and the time spent. And that has been the uh, piece that has uh, uh, unfortunately surprised me over the past year and a half is even though that there's new tech out there, is that I uh, cannot foresee anything really trying to get humanity back on a track and ultimately advertisers on a track. I'm not trying to politicize anything that's going on here. I'm making just a simple uh, comment, is that when you look at great tech companies that are ultimately changing the world, I think that needs to be uh, changed the world for the better. And I think that uh, you can build an argument uh, that Facebook is, uh, is behind on that topic. That's very um, diplomatically put, Gene, <laughs> behind on making the world a better place. Um, Gene, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Um, so, Bonowin, if you own the stock, should this be a concern? Should this factor in um, the fact that, and I think this is an interesting notion, that, that Facebook is behind on that effort to make the world a better place? Does that matter if you're in the stock? <clears throat> Uh, the short answer, uh, unfortunately, is no. At the end of the day, we're all about margins, profitability, uh, and reach. And as we've all said, Facebook has that 
um, in, in droves. What I will say is that the, the political climate does, see, does seem to be changing, and we've seen it across the nation. Um, and for what, what has gotten Facebook to this point is being at the cutting edge of trend setting and, and being able to take data and actually process that in nanoseconds. And I just think that they would be remiss not to take some of this into consideration in terms of how it's being perceived with their customer base. But no, the, the short answer is no, I, I don't see it affecting the bottom line. I would assume that um, the, the companies that have decided to pull back ad spend in the interim represent um, you know, only a, a small percentage of, um, of, of income and revenue streams. All right. Let's turn now to uh, some ad efforts over at Amazon. That company is seeming to launch a charm offensive lately after months of blowback for its working conditions and much more. Deidre Bosa's got the story. D. Hey, Melissa. Well, Amazon has apparently decided that if you can't fight them, charm them. To name a few recent examples, there's the video Jeff Bezos posted to his Instagram of him getting a temperature check at a fulfillment center and saying hello to Whole Foods workers while socially distant and masked. Another Amazon video spotlights Ricardo, a warehouse worker, signing about being an essential worker and the opportunities that Amazon has afforded him. Uh, now, the company has even agreed to make Bezos available for a House antitrust investigation, something that they had resisted at first. Now, guys, attempts to shore up its public image, that comes as Amazon is facing pressure from its own employees, activist groups, lawmakers, and regulators on a number of fronts. Amazon's treatment of third-party sellers is attracting antitrust scrutiny in the U.S. and in Europe. As the company develops more private label products, there are concerns that it could be using that data of its merchants to unfairly compete against them. Now, another issue that has been ramping up over the last few months is Amazon's treatment of warehouse employees amid the pandemic. Some claim that the company has not done enough to protect them. And there are signs that those rising tensions that started among blue collar workers is reaching white collar, the corporate employees. Now, Amazon, of course, guys, is also putting hard dollars behind its efforts. It, along with Facebook, led the big tech companies in lobbying spend in the first quarter of the year. Back to you. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. And of course, this is an election year. So well-timed, Amazon, right, Grasso? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amazon has really turned into an ETF unto itself. And they seem to navigate the waters pretty well. And when you look at it, Every time I look at the year-to-date performance on Amazon, I have to, you know, scratch my head and, and, and make sure I'm seeing the right number. But it's a, it's a tech spot. It's a, it's a retail play. It's cloud play. It's everything under the sun. They always seem to navigate it just right. Stock's up 46%. I think with being able to buy fractional shares, uh, you can get a different retail client to it. I haven't bought it here. I was long at 190, sold it at 650, went in and out up to 1,000. So practice what I preach. I haven't bought it here, but I see why people would want to own this conglomerate of Amazon the way it is now. Guy, do you think Amazon needs to spend this money on, on this so-called charm event? I mean, I don't know if you've seen the ads. They do air on CNBC. I should, you know, full disclosure here. Um, they're riveting. I mean, they really tell a good story. I, uh, charm offensive. I mean, I, I just I love the sound of it. Do they need to spend it? Why not? I mean, they, they can. I mean, they've, they've proven they can spend money on pretty much anything they want. And the stock's impervious. Uh, clearly, Steve Grosso's been on Amazon because he bought that telescope, telescope. in the background <laughs> to, to sort of stargaze this evening. I think that's wonderful. 
You know, it's really interesting. Now, real quick, you know, we had Mark Cuban on the show prior to Amazon's earnings, and we asked him point blank, you know, the stock had a huge run. Are you staying with it? And he said absolutely categorically yes. And we actually, the pushback was you traded into earnings. And it wound up being everybody was right. Mark was right. And to a certain extent, we were right. Because if you recall, it made an all-time high into the number and traded down to 2240 within a week or so. So I think it's another name where you can sort of game it a little bit. But if you just want to own it and, you know, come back, five years from now and have a conversation, I can understand why people would do that as well. Quick last comment, Tim. I think antitrust around Amazon has been a theme for two or three years. Uh, E-commerce is going to be 35 percent by 2025, and they are, you know, 30 percent of that market now. It's only 19 percent now. It's Amazon's world and we live in it. All right. Coming up, shares of American Airlines hitting some turbulence today. We'll tell you what the company did that got investors so nervous. And later, ante up why one of the most popular stocks on Robinhood could be the big winner in the $19 billion sports betting market. Fast Money's back in two. At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Welcome back to Fast Money, a slew of headlines coming out of the airline industry today. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the details. Hey, Phil. Uh, the most prominent one, Melissa, is what's going on with American Airlines. And one reason why the stock was under pressure, down more than 7% today. Late yesterday, the airline announced that it's going to try to raise $3.5 billion in capital, doing it through four moves. And here they are in the breakdown of how much they're trying to raise. $1.5 billion in secured notes backed by slots, gates, and routes. $750 million in convertibles, another $750 million in a common stock offering, and then a $500 million term loan facility. Keep in mind that this $3.5 billion is separate from the $4.75 billion that the airline is discussing in terms of a loan with the Treasury Department. So that could be even more capital that they potentially could line up by the end of the month or shortly into July. Raymond James has estimated, okay, this is how much cash on hand, how many months airlines can survive with the cash on hand. They've got American at 8.3 months. Just for some point of reference, United is at 17 and a half months. And then you have Southwest which, according to Raymond James, look, even if things go terrible from here on out, they still have enough cash to last for the next 25 months, so more than two years. All of this coming at a time, guys, when people are looking at, and airlines are looking at ways to raise more capital. Alaska out today doing an equipment certificate, raising $674 million. And as you take a look at the airline index, keep in mind that, yes, we are seeing more people flying. The high yesterday was 590 thousand people, but it's still down 78 percent compared to the same day last year. So expect more of these capital raise moves to happen with other airlines in the weeks and months to come. Phil, do you know what the base case scenario is for Raymond James? I mean, in terms of capacity, I'm just curious, you know, what they assume is terrible and how they get to those those number of months. Well, they're basing that on the cash burn rate that the airlines have right now and the expectation that that cash burn rate is going to be coming down. Now, obviously, and I've watched some of these notes from Raymond James over the last couple of months, they've modified that as the airlines have come out and said, look, 
we were at $100 million a day. We've brought it down to $60 million or $50 million. And at the same time, we've raised uh, a certain amount of capital so that they have more cash on hand. So it's, it's a sliding scale. It adjusts over time. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Uh, what jumped out at me was American Airlines, Tim. Eight months, eight plus months of capital. That's not a long time. Yeah. No, it's not a long time. And I think it's it's largely in the price. It's certainly in the price of their debt. And, and if you look at uh, Delta and Southwest, we talk about their balance sheets being better. Uh, the transaction that United did on Friday, I believe, was $5 billion of collateralized against their mileage plus uh, you know, asset, which you know, it was, I thought, pretty impressive and, and pretty creative, all things considered, and, and raises more optionality for them. I, I just, you know, the, the balance sheets are, are, are the critical part of this story right now. And I think the dilutive uh, Treasury share issuance is something else that people are trying to weigh. The longer term is a function, really, or the medium term is a function of, you know, who wants to fly, uh, what business will allow their people to fly, who on the other side wants to take that meeting, and, and, and are the friends and family of that person on the other side willing to let that happen, too? So uh, there's a lot of unknown, uh, even when we get everyone back to work, and I still think that this is going to take longer than people think. Bono, and this reminds me, I mean, this just seems like a, you know, if you want to bet on a vaccine, if you believe a vaccine is coming, this is, this is the sector that, that you invest in. Uh, to an extent, but I think uh, you're, you're really getting kind of low in terms of um, the, the industries are, that have the most leverage to the, the reopening trade. Uh, but back to Tim's point about the balance sheet, I mean, just looking at their current and quick ratios, I mean, these things are, are sub 50 bips. Um, like these, they don't have a choice here but to raise capital. I, I can understand they need to kind of mitigate that cash burn, shore up finances, and, and make it to the other side. But I think that they're essentially telling you the, the other side of the story, which is we need to make sure that we have adequate one, runway to get to the other side. If they believe that and they have a lot more access to uh, traveler's data, um, ridership, pricing than I ever would, I'm not going to jump in front of them and, and be first in line for that one. All right. Coming up, Apple hitting a new record high as it hosts its first virtual Worldwide Developers Conference. We'll bring you all the headlines straight ahead. And later, a call that hurt. That's a hint. Why one big analyst says this stock is basically worthless. The name and more when Fast Money returns. At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple posting a record close as it hosts its annual Worldwide Developers Conference. And this year, it was all virtual. Let's get to Josh Lipton with all the big headlines. Hey, Josh. 
So, Melissa, Apple announcing a range of upgrades and new features across its multiple operating systems today. So, iOS 14 was announced with improvements to Messages, Siri, and Maps. Apple also introduced a new app, a digital car key that can unlock and start a car. And Watch OS 7 was introduced too, which will include sleep tracking. But the scene stealer with this software show was actually a hardware announcement, specifically when it comes to the Mac. Apple now says it will move away from Intel processors, which it has used for years, to its own chips. Apple's chip guru, Johnny Shruji, making a rare appearance touting the technology. Building upon our years of experience designing the world's most energy efficient chips, our plan is to give the Mac a much higher level of performance, while at the same time consuming less power. Apple says this transition will take about two years. Some analysts that cover Apple like the news, saying this should improve performance and reduce cost. One question asked, of course, is what does all this mean for Intel investors? I checked in with Bernstein, Stacy Rasgon. He doesn't see this as a critical financial hit yet, but there are broad strategic concerns, he says, with Apple now saying it can deliver a premium PC without Intel chips. That could be problematic, he argues, because it can offer more opportunity for Intel rivals like ARM. Melissa, back to you. Josh, this, of course, is the developers conference. And lately, Apple has come under fire for how much it charges developers. Was there any mention of that? And I guess it's it's maybe the silver lining of it being virtual is that there there aren't any sort of vocal people who might show up at the conference, um, you know, basically protesting the 15 to 30 percent that Apple charges. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's virtual. Um, you know, one big benefit of this conference uh, in more normal times is that developers can come and, and they mix and mingle with Apple engineers and, and also each other, of course. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether they find this conference as fruitful when it's moved online. You're certainly right to say a conference was a little bit different this, this year because there was this backdrop of increasing tension and scrutiny when it comes to the App Store. We know European regulators have opened up and there was a high-profile uh, fight with um, an email app called Hey. Um, the guy behind that app, David Hansen, is a well-known name in tech. But it seems uh, this morning, at least, what, what David Hansen's team said is that they've sort of buried the hatchet with Apple, at least for now. Maybe that was an attempt for Apple to sort of lower the, the temperature a bit here heading into this conference and really repivot so that the, the focus of the conference, not on these tensions, but on the fact that the App Store is this big, powerful platform and can make developers a lot of money, Melissa. I wonder how they buried the hatchet. That was my first question. Well, what they said was what Apple's Phil, the issue was that Apple's Phil Schiller um, talked to reporters and said one real issue with that app um, was that if you downloaded the app, it didn't work. This was the argument he made, and that uh-huh. we're not going to have that on the store. And so David Hansen and his team got back to work, um, came up with a new version of the app, which was a free temporary version. Um, we'll see if that, and Apple did approve that according to Hansen. So we'll see where it goes from here, Melissa. Okay. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton with the latest from WWDC. Um, Guy Dami, how do you trade this monster? Record highs here. Well, a couple things. I think it's amazing that Josh Lipton is able to have such an in-depth interviews with Apple and then still star, star in Magnum PI on Friday nights. It's just amazing he's able to do both. Kudos to him, number one. <laughs> number two, you know, it speaks volumes as to Intel stock performance since Apple sort of said, see you later. I think it's actually a great miss. You know, it's the best thing about being an Apple supplier is being able to say you're an Apple supplier. Not a lot of companies seem to be doing all that well on the margin front. So I think actually this augurs well for Intel. And if you go back a week or so, I think Morgan Stanley downgraded Intel but raised their price target to 65. I think it gets there. And in terms of Apple, again, I'm not pretending I'm some crazy Apple bull. I'm not. But I'll point out 
that over the last two years you've seen a stock go from what at the time was an all-time high of 225 down to 150 in a straight line and recover, and recently an all-time high of 325 thereabouts and trade down to 240 and recover. Those are monstrous moves in a huge company, and the stock's given you an opportunity. I think you're going to get another opportunity at the previous all-time high, which is 325. Steve? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple things going for Apple. People are chasing fortified balance sheets in this marketplace, so they're buying Apple. Then when you get a rotation to value, they buy Apple. So you have a number, they, they win on, on both hands. Now you have services closing in on $50 billion in revenue. I have to assume that shelter in place is only going to foster that. It's going to be a tailwind. Then you have 5G on top of it. So I don't deny what Guy says. I think you get an opportunity. I'm long. I've been long. I'm staying long. I might add on that other opportunity. All right. Coming up, new all-time highs for Jack Dorsey Square. We'll dive into just how much room this stock has to run. And later, virgin territory. Richard Branson's space company taking a giant leap to send mankind on a trip into the stratosphere. What it means for Virgin Galactic. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Square. Topping the tape today and hitting a fresh all-time high. Barclays upping its price target on the stock to 115 a share. That's a new street high. Analysts behind this bullish call saying Square is seeing cash apps user growth, as well as some signs of improvement in the small business space. And, and Tim, you flagged this, but specifically they're talking about the data that they're getting based on its origination of PPP loans. It's, it's extraordinary uh, how this has been a beneficiary in what might be a difficult time for SMBs. Uh, the, the performance of the cash app is, is one of the drivers of this re-rating. And, and it's, you know, it's worth, it, it's hard to say here, but, you know, there's a couple, you know, you do some scenario analysis, and I think the street's somewhere, you know, high end around $2 billion, billion and a half, somewhere right in a, in a baseline. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary story. The seller ecosystem is, is uh, also proving to be very resilient here. The question is, what do you want to pay for this company? Uh, you know, I, I've been a long-term holder of it, and every time I sell shares, I'm, I'm kicking myself. So I still have a, a smaller position. But the re-rating here, this company has is, is moved 140 percent uh, in about 55 sessions or really off of those lows. So uh, I'm going to hold my breath and get for a, another spot to get back in here. I, I think this move at this point has priced in an extraordinarily um, you know, high output for the cash app. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of longer term guy, um, ARK Invest had a note out about Square. And it was interesting because they said that uh, Square originated in six weeks in terms of the loan, the dollar amount, what it normally originates in four and a half months. And so basically, big banks are seeding that part of the business to Square, which can do it a little bit more efficiently, and they have much more data to do it with. It's incredible, right? And, and Karen's been on this as well, Tim, I know. I mean, I think we've all been collectively bullish. I never thought it would get here. I don't think necessarily a lot of people did. PayPal's another one, by the way. Mm-hmm. I know Dan Nathan speaks to that one. But, you know, what I find fascinating, and you go back a few years, and everybody, well, a lot of people, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people are saying, it's just a hardware company. What's it worth? It's going to be commoditized. And we sort of pushed back against it for some of the reasons we're seeing now. And I remember at the time, a lot of people saying this would be a perfect sort of a bolt-on for Apple, and it probably would have been in retrospect. I'm with Tim. I think you've got to look for another opportunity to buy it. The problem is both PayPal and Square, they've been parabolic now for the last seemingly month, month and a half. There has not been a pullback to buy. 
All right, coming up, one Wall Street firm making a big bet on sports gambling, and it's a hot stock among retail traders. We've got the analyst behind that call. He'll join us next. Plus, big buzzkill for Hertz. We'll tell you who says the base case is uh, zero for the stock. Ouch. Uh, much more on that after the break. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast. We've got a buzzkill here. Morgan Stanley putting the hurt on Hertz today, saying it's a base case. Base case for the stock is a goose egg. Zero. Nothing. This name has seen a lot of retail trader interest after filing for bankruptcy uh, late last month. There are a million reasons why Adam Jonas said basically there is no reason to be in this stock. We've said it time and time again, Guy. The retail trader still holds this one. Um, I don't know what to say here. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, listen, I'm sure a lot of people, when the stock went from, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, spitballing here, but it went from 40 cents to $5. I mean, that's a pretty significant move percentage-wise. I'm sure a lot of people made a lot of money. I'm sure uh, Dave Portnoy probably was on that bandwagon as well. Good for them. But Adam Jonas, as far as analysts go, not only is he probably the best in the space, he's probably one of the best analysts out there, period. And if he says the base case is zero, I'm listening to him, Mel. Yeah. All right. Another hot stock among retail investors tumbling today. DraftKings falling after California pulled a bill that would have legalized sports betting in that state. The stock has gotten a lot of attention lately. According to RobinTrack, it's one of the most popular names on the Robinhood trading platform. And it's done well. Despite today's losses, DraftKings has uh, more than doubled since it began trading in April. Jeffries initiating coverage on the stock today with a buy rating, $55 price target. Joining us now by phone is the man behind that call, Jeffries senior gaming analyst David Katz. David, great to have you with us. Thank you. This setback in California, does it make you a little bit more cautious on on how many more states will legalize? It it does not. Of what we have, you know, indicated all day today uh, is that states are going to legalize the biggest ones, which include California, New York, Florida, and Texas. It's going to be messy. They're politically complex. California in particular has a number of very wealthy and powerful tribes, and there's money to be made. And so it is going to be complicated. There will be fits and starts. But we have high confidence that these states will get there. You know, look, the political landscape is such where governors need money. Uh, the land-based casinos are suffering a little bit. And here's the opportunity to make some. Uh, and so one way or another, it's going to get done. So that seems like a push-pull, David. I mean, in terms of the the tribal casinos needing to make money because they might be hurting because of the pandemic, but the states need money also, and they might want to legalize. Yeah, it, it, it does sound like a push-pull, but having covered gaming for about 20 years now, I think this is year 20, um, you know, we always have these political processes, particularly in the larger, more complex states, where there's a pot of money and a little bit of a tug of war over who gets what. Uh, the, the tribes in California in particular, as you referred to, um, have been very successful over the years. Um, they have, you know, frequently, periodically, going back to Governor Schwarzenegger, gotten into battles uh, over how much tax they should be contributing to the state. But in the end of the day, they wind up having very productive enterprises and they wind up, you know, paying their fair share to the state. We believe that's going to happen in Florida. It will ultimately happen in New York. Uh, it is happening in Illinois. 
Uh, and as those states start to happen, the neighboring states start to fall like dominoes. Right. It happened with riverboat casinos, Melissa, and it'll happen again now. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the momentum in the market share in New Jersey, which would imply maybe a domino effect in the tri-state area here. Um, David, I, I do want to ask you, you know, does, does, a, does a recession, does that impact sports gambling? Do people have less money or does it make p- people want to gamble more? I mean, I, just, I don't know what the impact is. What have you found? Yeah, look, I... Look, I think the the one unanswerable or difficult to answer question is how much wagering is going on uh, in the illegal markets that will transfer over into legal markets? And then, you know, how much new incremental play will there be as a result of legality? Um, You know, that first part is a very difficult question, Melissa, to answer. The second one is a person like myself who I do not have a bookie. Uh, but, you know, should it become legal, uh, I can tell you that, you know, my friends and I have had a text going around with my cousins and my dad for six years uh, betting on what the next batter is going to do. That in-game wagering opportunity, by the way, which we discussed in our note, did some consumer survey work around, uh, is a very compelling opportunity in the U.S., much more so than in Europe. And I think how much of that wagering will be captured by the common man like myself is really a, a, a big opportunity that remains to be uh, answered in time. All right. David, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. David Thank Katz you. of Jeffries. Um, a lot of what David was talking about, the black market going to legitimate market, Tim, that's just like marijuana. It's just like what happened with the pot industry, which we're still trying to figure out right now. Totally. No, I mean, bringing, bringing it into the, you know, the, the illicit market into the regulated market is an important part of this. And the, uh, Dave talked about the complex regulatory landscape. It, it is a metaphor. Uh, bottom line is uh, whether it's legal or illegal, people love to bet. They love to gamble. They are doing it. They're going to do more of it. This is, I think media companies are going to be in the middle of this. In fact, obviously, you can make an argument that DraftKings is a 14 or $15 billion media company. It's one of the largest plays. But iGaming, early innings, pun intended, absolutely. Uh, an in-game, uh, as was just discussed, I, I think is such a massive market. Um, that getting exposure to this is what people want to do. I hate this valuation, um, but I could hold my nose on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I know nothing about gambling and I know nothing about sports. So this is just a convergence of things that I just know nothing about. <laughs> but with that said, Bonowin, when you, I mean, just hearing about the opportunities for in-game wagering, I mean, that sounds really interesting in terms of, uh, you know, if it becomes legal in different places, I mean, not just DraftKings, but it, it could be something that, media companies that that broadcast sports may want to be in in as well. Absolutely. And I can assure you, I probably know less about gambling than you do. But what I do know is that the bookie in the house always wins. Um, (laughs) And they have positioned themselves primely (laughs) um, to be able to to take advantage of that. Um, Between the in-game betting and the proliferation of uh, e-sports and online sports, I mean, you've seen all the pauses in the major sports um, sports. Uh, sorry, sports leagues, uh, rather, stumble there. Um, and what you've seen is online gaming kind of fill that void. And the fact that they are um, diversifying themselves not only to in, in-game betting, but also to that growing, that, that burgeoning sector uh, speaks volumes about, you know, the foresight that the company has. Guy, quick um, last I mean, comment. It is, tr- it is range. Sorry, Bonowin. No, no problem. I was, what I was, was going to say uh, is the fact that, that neither one been- of you know all that much about it. Oh, sorry, Bonowin. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, as I say, sometimes if you don't know, those tend to be the best gamblers. If I can bet 
that James Paxton can freeze the koala bear with an Uncle Charlie? I mean, I'm in. And by the way, I love David Katz telling the world if his arm doesn't, doesn't have a bucky. Come I mean, on, man. Is, he, is he even healthy right now? He doesn't have a bookie, but he's might not, have he's one he's a, yeah. if, <laughs> if things are legalized. Might, might look to gamble. That's an honest analyst, right? <laughs> Nothing to hide there. All right, coming up, looking for a golden opportunity. Well, look no further because options traders are betting the precious metal is set to rally. That trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold hitting its highest level in more than a month. That moves on options traders rushing into the miners today. The GDX ETF attracts a space surging more than 4%. Bono and Ison's got the action. Bono and take it away. Uh, thank you. So what we've seen today is uh, calls of outpaced puts between two and three times the one today. And what really jumped out to me was the GDX June 26 weekly 35 calls are traded about 10,000 times around 64, 65 cents. That'll put your break even squarely about 2% higher than current spot. And I'll say this is really a way for you to, uh, or the, the person that's putting this trade on is essentially managing that portfolio, moving from more speculative plays to a bit more high quality um, plays in GLD while still continuing to let that money uh, continue to work. And as uh, many of the other traders have, have pointed out, we've seen a positive correlation between vol and the stock market. And we're also seeing a positive correlation between gold as a safe haven and the stock market, and I expect that trend to continue. All right. Thanks for that, Bono. And for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the out-of-this-world deal that sent shares of Virgin Galactic soaring today. We have the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, an out-of-this-world day for shares of Virgin Galactic, the private space company inking a deal with NASA to help train civilian astronauts to take trips to the International Space Station. The deal, a major step towards making space tourism a possibility. Um, Steve Grasso, it it sort of trades in in a bucket with, like, Tesla and and sort of all of these alternative energy, futuristic kind of companies. This, this is almost one that you have to own just for the scarcity value. There's not any pure plays the way this one is. So just think about the ETFs that it'll be included in, any and all of them, and it will be heavily weighted towards this name. So you don't have to chase it on huge up days, but if you're playing this area or this sector, they're few and far in between, and I would be here and I would own this one. Civilian astronauts guy, Dami. What do you make of that? Yeah, if I want to get motion sickness, I'll watch Deadliest Catch while eating a Beyond Meat hamburger. I mean, I got zero interest in being a civilian. Zero interest. I mean, that's just not, you know, I keep terra firma for me. In terms of the stock, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's one of those lottery tickets. And you know what? Those seem to be doing really well right now in this environment. I remember you got motion sick when you did the VR thing as a bird flying over. I, was, I couldn't work the next day. I never right, missed exactly. shows. I couldn't come exactly. to work the next day. Yeah, space would be bad news for you, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Bono and Ison, what do you say? I'm going to give you another way to play uh, the gold sector and offer the GDX upside calls. Tim Seymour. Nice having you, Bono, in today. Uh, guess who owns 18 million shares of DraftKings? Disney. Uh, and Disney is the type of a media company that at some point, I know it doesn't seem like their squeaky clean image, but could be getting involved in this sector. But in the meantime, uh, the valuation is continuing to look interesting relative to the openings after COVID-19. 
Grasso, I should have known you like space because of that big telescope you got behind you. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, uh, I thought Tim was just about to drop a bomb on us and say that he was the one that owns 18 million shares of DraftKings. I was thinking, why is he doing the show? Yeah. Anyway, let's keep it, let's keep it consistent. I'm going to go with SPCE, Virgin Galactic Holdings. That's the one that you should buy. Wait for a pullback, either or, buy it now, that one. Guy. Uh, Intel, big gain off this Apple news. In my opinion, I think Intel goes higher. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more show. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.